So when I was nine years old, I was in Sunday school with Mrs. Kunal. Okay, now Mrs. Kunal thought it would be a great idea to have us all read through the Bible. Now, remind you, we've only been reading about four or five years, but that's okay. And some of the stuff in the Bible, as we well know, is a little X-rated, right? But that's okay. So um, the, she also promised a prize that there would be a prize. Um, for the girls who went, read through it first, it would be a diamond necklace. For the boys, it would be something else. Don't remember. Don't care. But I do remember that diamond necklace. I also have an identical twin sister. So there was two reasons why I took her up on this contest. One, the diamond necklace. Two, my twin sister. It was something that maybe I could beat her in. She was two minutes older than me, still is two minutes older than me, and that's been hung over my head my entire life. <laughs> So I was like, I'm going to win this contest. I'm going to get that diamond necklace, and I'm going to read through the Bible. I don't care how I do it. Well, that was part of the problem. So as I started reading through the Bible, um, I did great. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all those kind of difficult books. Got up to Job, found I did not have the patience of Job, and could not finish reading through Job, but decided that I would go ahead and read some of it, and then tell Mrs. Kunal that I had read those chapters, and then I'd circle back around later and read it. Well, that was the, the, the mentality I told myself. But, of course, it was born the first time. It's going to be born the second time I sit down to read it. So I never read it. But I did win the prize of the diamond necklace, okay? Now, this is the part of the story you say, oh, yeah, and then you felt guilty, and you went back to Mrs. Kunal. Nope, I kept that diamond necklace. <laughs> I did not let go of that. Now, just a side note. It's a fraud, right? So that's my title sheet. Jennifer Deaney Hill, a.k.a. the diamond. The diamond thief saved by grace. <laughs> so one of the things that, on a side note, I was going to say, too, I loved jewelry so much as a kid. I was always beading. I still like to bead. But one of the things I used to do from those uh, Sears or J.C. Penny catalogs, anybody remember those? I'm dating myself. They're like this big, thick. I'd go and pour through the jewelry section, and I'd cut out all these little jewelry pieces, and I would tape them on to my wrists, put them around my neck, and I had a whole chest full of my diamond jewels, paper diamond jewels. So anyways, all that to say is I really did like this. But one of the things I realized that after I won that prize and I came home, first of all, I was totally celebrated. I was the twin that won the diamond necklace. And my dad was a pastor at the time, so everybody knew. Uh, Jenny won the diamond necklace from the, uh, the reading contest. My sister did not win. I had the diamond necklace. And um, that night, as I went home and I was celebrating all that, I, of course, remember I had, the whole contest was reading the Bible, right? So I knew what God did with people that sinned. So I'm like, God, you know, this is the part. He totally humiliates me, exposes me. And this is when I really started understanding grace. What I deserved was to be humiliated, shamed, publicly reprimanded, the diamond necklace pulled back for me, no prize. But what I got instead was undeserved grace. I got the public honor. I got celebrated. I got heralded as being somebody who could really read well and read through the Bible. I was embraced, admired. I was the winner. And of course, I got the diamond necklace. I got the prize. That, to me, was is undeserved grace. And for a long time, I wondered, why did God not expose me? Because in other times, he did expose me, right? If I took something or I did something, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. But on this one, he didn't, and he still didn't. And now here I am, years later, realizing, i got to confess this. I took that diamond necklace. And that was, for me, 
a real lesson in grace. I knew what I deserved, but God quietly kept that hidden and still rewarded me with a diamond necklace. Fortunately, I learned from that. And um, I learned about grace. And I, here's a couple definitions. Grace, here's kind of a clever thing. Um, God's riches at Christ's expense. Um, here's another one, a little deeper. Grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits, diamond necklaces, on the undeserving, the diamond thief. <laughs> okay, This is my favorite. Grace, simple three words, God's unmerited favor. Okay, God's unmerited favor. Fortunately, I went on, um, I was in a private school, and I met D- Mr. Christofferson. We called him Mr. Chris for short. And he taught me how to read the Old Testament. Um, for more than just a diamond necklace and a gain. He taught me how to study it, how to learn from it. He taught me to follow themes. One of the things he really taught me to do, he said, that watch numbers, pay attention to the names in the Old Testament, and pay attention to the elusive characters, the ones that you maybe might just pass over, because all of these point to some themes. And the theme that he said that is reoccurring in the Old Testament that prepares us for the New Testament, which really everything is preparing us for the coming of Christ and our need for a Savior. He said there are sinners, and there's a loving God. And there's a God that loves us so much that he, um, he doesn't want, even though we sin, he doesn't want to be separated from us. And so he provides a Savior. And when he provides a Savior, we have a choice to repent. And if we repent... Um, then he brings us back into blessing, and ultimately the greatest prize of all is a relationship with him. So I started reading the Old Testament that way, and still here I am, 47 years old, years later, and I'm still reading the Old Testament that way, which is looking for the themes, looking for the elusive characters, watching numbers, names, different things like that. Kind of like a Nancy Drew mystery or like the Da Vinci Code. That's how I read the, the Old Testament. So I'm going to walk you through. You're going to get to come into my brain a little bit and hear how I've read this particular story. When Micah asked me to speak, I was studying at the time David and Solomon, which I love David and Solomon. And I go, yeah, I'll t- I'm going to speak on David and Solomon. He goes, we're studying the Old Testament. I go, perfect. I like the Old Testament because this is how I read it, like these little clues. So I was like, great, I'll talk on David and Solomon. Well, as I said that, I was like, and I go, something about wisdom and different things, because that's what I'd been thinking about. There was something that was niggling in the back part of my brain, and there was an elusive character that I had to keep thinking about that kept coming to mind, and that was Bathsheba. Well, I did some study on Bathsheba. Now, we fortunately, we have the internet, but when I was studying the Old Testament as a kid growing up, I didn't have the old uh, te- I mean, the internet. I had the Strong's Concordance, so I was always going to the Strong's Concordance, studying different things. But this was fabulous and fun to be able to study this, so I'm going to walk you through this. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read through the story. I'm going to tell you the story, and that's the story that's in 2 Samuel 11:12, and then also 1 Kings 1 and 2. And I'm going to cover about uh, half a century in just this short story, hopefully covering about a couple minutes here. But basically, <laughs> stick, hang with me. I'm going to go quick. There's five characters. There's Bathsheba, there's Uriah, David, Nathan, and Solomon. Bathsheba is that elusive character that I was like, I had something about her that I really need to pay more attention to. Um, I, ironically, well, I'll tell you that in just a second. But Okay, so bottom line, there's David. He's on his rooftop. It's springtime. He's supposed to be at battle, okay? This is the opening in in, uh, 2 Samuel 11. He's supposed to be at battle, but instead of being at battle, he's wandering his rooftop. He looks over, and he sees this beautiful woman bathing, okay? This is Bathsheba. That's the irony. Can you guys, can you, do you guys see the irony? 
Bathsheba taking a bath. I always thought that was really interesting. Anyways, name is also important here. So Bathsheba's taking a bath, and David's looking at her. Now, Bathsheba is married to Uriah, who happens to be at battle and happens to be one of David's closest friends. They fought some really great battles together. David is watching her, okay? He doesn't turn away. He keeps watching at her. Then he lusts after her, and then he goes and builds on his lust. Um, he takes Bathsheba, brings her to his palace, and he sleeps with her. We don't know Bathsheba's response because it's never said. We don't know if, it, if she wanted it, if it was a rape. There's scholars that would go both ways on that. But what we do know is that she became pregnant, and that was the first time we ever hear Bathsheba talk at least any words recorded. And she says those three dreaded words that any man would want to hear in this situation, I am pregnant. So she sends that through a messenger to David. David quickly goes in repentance mode. No. David goes into what I did, cover-up mode, right? So he starts to cover his tracks. Oh, my gosh, how do I get out of this? So he tries to get Uriah to come home and sleep with her and pretend like it was his baby, pass it off. Uriah is so faithful to his troops, he stays with his troops. And uh, David is in a big pickle. He goes to plan B. He then says, hey, let's get Uriah killed in battle. Um, so he goes to the commander. They arrange this. Uriah gets killed. Um, uh, Bathsheba mourns the loss of Uriah. And uh, David then goes and marries her and brings her to the palace. Whew. He thinks he's off the hook. Okay. Well, as, you know, as God works, uh, there is a prophet, and his name is Nathan. And he enters into the scene, and he basically says, I caught you, red-handed, you're doing evil in the sight of the Lord, and I'm here to tell you it's not okay, and here is some consequences that's going to happen from this. There is going to be a loss of a child. Your, your wives are all going to be raped in daylight, which is something that we might uh, also indicate that Bathsheba might have been raped um, because of this consequence that happened to him. And uh, he says the child will die. So um, the interesting thing on this is Bathsheba is never condemned. Only David is condemned for his actions. And um, so that's also another little clue that makes you want to look a little closer about Bathsheba. Why didn't God condemn her? So anyways, the child dies, and he comforts his wife, which is beautiful. He comforts his wife, and he, gets, uh, he sleeps with her, and they have Solomon, Okay. And uh, Solomon, it says, was beloved by the Lord. He was, his name actually meant peace, but he was beloved by the Lord. And he was actually given another name, Jedidiah. And that means beloved by the Lord. This is also an indicator that he's going to be taking the throne, even though he's not David's firstborn. So there gets to be a lot of turmoil um, in David's family. Fast forward years, we're going to go into First King, or First Kings, yeah, and First Kings 1, basically David's ill, and he's sick, and um, through prompting from Nathan, Bathsheba goes to David and ask, advocates for Solomon to take the throne, because one of David's sons had already started to appoint him as king, because he, he saw his dad dying. Because of that, David um, appoints Solomon as the next king. Solomon then, David dies, Solomon reigns. And as he is reigning, he, God asks him, this famous story, if you guys know this, what do you want? You can have anything and you want in the world that you want. Solomon asks for? Yeah, asks for wisdom. Because he asked for wisdom, he got that and wealth. Pretty good deal, isn't it? So he became one of the wealthiest, wisest kings to ever live. Um, 
Now, here's what's interesting. When Solomon was reigning, he had 700 wives, 300 concubines. When he was reigning, though, he had a certain, he had a throne put on his right hand, okay? And guess who got to sit on that throne? Bathsheba, his mother, okay? No time ever in Scripture is there ever talked about a woman sitting in a throne on the right side of the king. That is a place of honor. That is something that um, typically we'll see throughout, even in Scripture. You'll talk about the disciples and Jesus. The disciples are asking, hey, who gets to sit on your right hand? Okay, that's a place of honor to sit there. He puts Bathsheba there. So let's look a little bit closer about Bathsheba. Who is she? Um, we know who she is by two, two of her sons that she had. And I'm just going to do a comparison here. She had a, a son out of shame. And his name, didn't ha- he didn't have one, so he, I call him no name. He ended up dying seven days after he was born as a consequence for her, her, uh, David's behavior. He was born out of lust. He was the, when he was born, even, even when David was married to her, um, they still referenced Bathsheba as the wife or the widow of Uriah. Isn't that interesting? And then, of course, he was cursed. He brought death. The, the child was, uh, d- died. And then he was never remembered or lived beyond a week, and he brought great sorrow and shame. The second son was Solomon. Now, this son was born, if you will, out of grace or out of love. Okay, And this Solomon, his name means peace, and his other name, he was so great, he got named twice, Jedediah, beloved by the Lord. He was born out of love. And this is the first time when he, after he was born that Bathsheba was referred to as the wife of David. Isn't that interesting? As if to say, you are, your sins are remembered no more. And God even says that to David. He goes, uh, your sins, we're done with that. We're moving on. Okay, now Bathsheba is your wife. And she has a very blessed life. She ends up having... Um, of course, the wisest, wisest and wealthiest king ever as her son. Kind of like me. I have a really wise son. <laughs> she brought honor and fame to her family. Okay, so that's the two sons of Bathsheba. One of the things, of course, to parallel this in your life is thinking about what is it that you birth in your life? And what are you birthing out of sin and shame? And what are you birthing out of love and grace? Okay, one obviously ends in death, one ends in honor and fame. Very deep thought. You can process that on your own time. Um, Okay, now Bathsheba is called the daughter of the oath, and she uh, deserves shame, but instead she got undeserved grace. This is the part I go, huh? Dr. Chris would be proud of me, because he taught me to ask questions if something didn't make sense. Why did Bathsheba get grace instead of shame? By the law, even if it was rape, um, well, not even rape, but if it was rape, the, the woman would get ostracized, and there would be a tremendous amount of shame brought into her life. Um, if it was adultery, she would get death by stoning, public humiliation, rejected, shamed, poorly remembered, tons of sorrow and shame brought to the family, and internal damnation or con- condemned. If she received grace, she would, and this is what she received, the undeserved grace, an honored life. Public adoration by David and Solomon, she was considered the beloved wife of David, and, of course, we already know how much Solomon loved her. He had a throne next to her. She was admired and honored, fame, and she's very intriguing. She's actually considered one of the most controversial women in Scripture. And she's mother of the wisest and wealthiest king ever, of course, we just talked about, eternal glory. And here's the other thing that's interesting. 
Um, Proverbs 31, if anybody's familiar with that, that's the, that's the scripture that's given for Christian women that we can never live up to, okay? Um, that, they think, was written by Solomon in referencing Bathsheba. that interesting? So she is actually going on to leave this huge um, image, and of course, she ends up being in the direct lineage of Jesus Christ. So she is actually, the, des- the descendants of her is Jesus. Isn't that interesting? So this is a very um, valued cherished, honored woman. Now, has anybody heard this description of Bathsheba in the learnings of Bathsheba? I, I didn't. I heard that she was maybe immoral, maybe a little immodest was her sin, these different things. But actually, what we're starting to get is a whole different portrayal of Bathsheba. So, all right. She got undeserved grace. One of the things that I started looking at, too, is Bathsheba and Jesus. And I won't go through all of these. But one of the things that she did with Bathsheba, that there's actually a parallel kind of going with, with Jesus. Um, she was seated on the throne at the right hand, just like Jesus was seated on the throne at the right hand after he finished his work on, work on earth. Um, she, had, she did endure some public humiliation, rejection, and shame. I mean, it was no secret. It came out what had happened. Um, um, she did experience death with the death of her son, the death, death of her husband, and that the death of the life that she had before. Um, I'm going to go down further to she advocated for Solomon to be king. Looking over at Jesus, he's advocated us to be kings and queens. So we start to see a little bit of a parallel going on here. Again, back to what Dr. Chris, or Mr. Chris told me. I should call him Dr. Chris. Mr. Chris told me, is that look for, look for this drama played out time and time again. There is a sinner. Let's say it's David, okay? Um, there is a savior that we need. And in this case, looking at it, maybe Bathsheba that she advocated. Um, and that grace is given instead of shame. And here's another interesting part. Uriah, you know what his name means? This was Bathsheba's husband. His name means <clears throat> light of the Lord. The Lord's light, okay? So considering that Uriah is God to us and um, David um, sins and that connection is broken and then Bathsheba comes in and she ends up restoring a relationship, advocating for Solomon. Um, who knows what happened and with between her and David, but she was able to be restored to grace and honor. So... All right, let me go to the next one. Bathsheba, summary of Bathsheba. She was the daughter of Eliam, and Eliam actually was a counselor in David's court, um, a very well-respected man. She was the wife and widow of Uriah, which meant the light of the Lord. Um, we don't know if it was adultery or rape with David, and she was a beloved wife of David. She was the mother of no name <laughs> in Solomon. <laughs> she was the esteemed queen mother of the Jews, uh, she was also, uh, the descendants of, of hers were Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And she was the ideal example for a Christian woman. Proverbs 31, picture of undeserved grace, also possibly a symbolic sa- savior. This, what it, it depicts to me in studying Bathsheba is what God wants to do for all of us. He wants to restore us. If we participated in or involved in or with uh, sin, he's like, okay, we're going to move on. We're going to put that aside. And I want you at my right hand. I want us ruling together. I want you taking your design spot. 
And one of the things that we need to do as his kids is we don't, we don't orchestrate that. We simply need to be the recipients of grace. And we need to repent when we're shown, hey, this isn't the way, the way you're supposed to do this. You know, I think God would have given Bathsheba to David. I totally think he would have given Bathsheba to David. David, his name meant beloved. And he was considered a man after God's own heart. And God treasured and loved David. So bringing this home, this is a lot of Bible knowledge I'm throwing at you really quick. Bringing this home, again, the thing I think that we need to keep asking ourselves is, what is the blessings that God has for us in our lives? What are we maybe robbing ourselves in because we are not repenting? Are we calling out for a Savior? We are all need, in need of a Savior. Are we living in grace? Are we living in shame? Those two are the opposites. Grace makes us live in light and openness. Shame makes us live in, in um, closing and hiding. So when we participate in shame, we hide and we close in. And when we participate in being a recipient of grace, we live in openness and freedom. All right. So again, remember the names. You got to pay attention to the names. Uriah is called the light of the Lord. Bathsheba is the daughter of the oath. That's what her name means. David is darling or beloved, also called man after God's own heart. Solomon, his name means shalom or peace. And then Jedediah means beloved of the Lord. So in summary, I think this story could be told very quickly and easily if we just take the meaning of their names. And it might read something like this. The beloved, David, killed the light of the Lord, Uriah, slept with the daughter of the oath, Bathsheba, and had a peaceful son who was beloved by the Lord, Solomon, and reigned in wisdom and power, ushering in the true Savior of the world. Jesus Christ. What I love about this is what started out as this sordid, not-so-pretty story has ended in an amazing, happily-ever-after story that we could never anticipate the ending in. Sin does not rob us of that, that perfect ending. It's our lack of repentance and acknowledging our need for a Savior that keeps us out of that happy ending. Does that make sense? Which frees us up. The only thing we have to keep doing is we have to say, I am sorry that I did this. God, I am sorry I took matters into my own hand. I'm going to ask you to do this in my life instead. When we do that, we have the greatest gift of all, bigger than a diamond necklace. We have that restoration and that relationship um, with Jesus Christ. We were never designed to be separated from him, and sin created that separation. And he does not want heaven without us. He doesn't want us to have this life without him. So he is constantly maneuvering and providing ways for us to be able to come close to him and have that relationship. The ball is is in our court to be able to repent and say, hey, and repentance is just called a a change of heart, turning away. It's a really biblical term, but it's turning away and turning towards who our Savior is. I um, have asked Giovanna to come up and sing and close us out in one of my favorite hymns that kept going over and over in my head when I was doing the study about grace. And um, it's grace that is greater than all our sins. Does anybody know that? It's written back in 1910. And I'm going to put the lyrics up here. 
Hello, this is Giovanna. Yes, is that on? There she is. Yes. And we're just going to sing the chorus and close out on this. And if there's any prayers or anything that you want to offer up to God to say, hey, I need grace in this area, my suggestion is offer that up as we sing this. Grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Grace, grace. God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. Javana, thank you.